Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. So a week hardly goes by that when I come here on a Sunday, I don't meet someone who's new. And by new, I mean uh, having started coming here in the last year or so. And so, um, and by the way, if, if you see me in the grocery store, this happens quite a bit, uh, feel free to introduce yourself too. So uh, there's a lot of people I haven't met here. And a lot of times when people do that, they act like it's an inconvenience. It's not an inconvenience at all. I'd love to meet you. Um, but if I haven't met you, my name's Jake. I'm one of the pastors here at Candeo. My wife and I moved to the Cedar Valley about eight years ago. Uh, kind of back up before that. So uh, my wife and I were high school sweethearts. We will celebrate 14 years of marriage this August. And uh, we were high school sweethearts. We dated long distance while I was going to school in Chicago, got married about halfway through. We lived in, um, in the city for several years and then moved back to Des Moines once I graduated. Fast forward a few years after we were married and we had our first child, uh, that's Naomi. That's my wife and I. Uh, my first child, uh, Naomi, she just, she's nine. She just finished third grade. Um, she's addicted to reading. Uh, she's incredibly smart. She's, she, I'm about six months away from her being smarter than me. So I'm, I'm losing more arguments, you know, and that's really frustrating when you're a parent because you've taught your child to try to, to like think for themselves. And when they point out your flaws and your logic, it's kind of hard to stomach, right? And they're not even 10. So um, she's going to change the world one way or another. Uh, it will not be the same when she's done with it. We'll see whether that's good or bad. Um, fast forward a few years later after that, we had our son Judah, and we call him Joyful Judah because his main goal in life is to make sure that everyone is having fun. Uh, and so he loves cars. He loves dinosaurs. Um, he loves sports, anything with a ball. He's I think the highest rank of, of croquet is Jedi Master, I think, and so he has achieved that. Uh, and uh, we play croquet quite a bit. Um, so this next picture is maybe what you would call uh, the Instagram picture of our family, right? It's the picture that you post after you've had your family pictures. You try to look all nice, right? I think it's the next one here. Uh, it's the one where, like, why are we in the woods? I don't know. Like, that's just a natural place we hang out with nice clothes, you know? That's the Instagram picture of our family, but I want to I show you another picture of our family that's a little different. Uh, our sister-in-law embroidered this for us a few years ago. And while all the pictures of our family portray us as a happy family of four, this picture is actually more accurate because we're a family of nine. And what those hearts portray over our heads are the five children over the last 10 years that we have lost to miscarriage. Justice, who this year would have been 11. Hope, this year would have been seven. Piper, who would have been three. Mariah, who would have been two. And Elijah, who would be about a year old now. These little hearts are children that we've never held in our arms. We've only had them in our minds uh, Sarah has only felt them in her body, and we have only seen in pictures in a post-operation room. Have you, have you ever felt like God is nowhere to be found? 
Have you ever wondered where God is in the brokenness of your life? Whether it's the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, the disintegration of a relationship that was precious to you, maybe it's the panic attacks that inexplicably come, or the seasons of depression, that you don't know why you feel the way you feel, but they come and they go, and you can't explain it. What do you do when it feels like God isn't there? What do you do when it feels like God has abandoned you? What kind of songs can sad Christians sing? Those are the questions that our Psalms this morning are going to answer for us. Psalm 42 and 43. These Psalms are often put together, uh, though in our Bibles they're two distinct Psalms. They very likely uh, should be one Psalm. Now, the Psalms, we've been going through the Psalms. The Psalms uh, is a book of songs or poems, and there are basically two kinds of songs or poems in the book of Psalms. You have Psalms of praise, and you have Psalms of lament. And Psalm 42 and 43 are songs of lament. They aren't the only ones. In fact, the Psalms is filled with language of lament, language of sorrow. And what Psalms of Lament are, quite simply, is that Psalms of Lament are prayers to God in the midst of pain while living in a broken world. Psalms of Lament are prayers to God in the midst of pain while living in a broken world. There's three different kinds of lament, generally, that we see in the book of Psalms. There are Psalms of Lament where we see evil in the world and we call on God to do something about it, where we see evil and evildoers, where something within us wells up with sorrow and anger at the evil that is going on, and we call on God for his justice. Many of us felt this on Thursday. I think the first phrase that I said when I was reading the text coming in I just showed my wife my phone. I said, this is infuriating. And so those psalms where we're calling on God to bring justice to evil are called imprecatory psalms or, or, or prayers of imprecation where we call on God to judge evil and evildoers. There's another kind of psalm of lament that isn't about the evil that is out there in the world being done, but the evil that has been done by us, where there are psalms crying out in confession, lamenting the things that we have done. So you have psalms, uh, imprecatory psalms, you have psalms of confession, but then there's a third kind of lament, which is what we have here in Psalm 42 and 43, which are psalms that are from a general place of loneliness depression, and spiritual dryness. We know that Psalm 42 and 43 is this kind of psalm and not the first two kinds of lament because there isn't anything in the psalm to indicate that the psalmist is confessing anything in particular or that the psalmist is calling upon God to judge anything in particular. No, Psalm 42 and 43 is the cry of a person who no longer feels the Lord's presence like they once did, and they don't know why. Have you ever been there? Has it ever felt like God is far away and you don't know why? 
We know this because in verse 1, Psalm 42, verse 1, we get, we get a picture. The psalmist gives us a picture, and here's what it is. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. Now, deer aren't as stupid as sheep. Stephen spent a lot of time last week uh, highlighting for us the nature of sheep, the stupidity of sheep, the, the need of sheep for a shepherd. Deer aren't quite as dumb as sheep because what deer don't wait until they're dying of thirst before they start to go look for water, right? They're a little smarter than that. They're able to anticipate their needs. And so the picture that we get here in Psalm 42, verse 1, is that of a deer who goes to what was once a source of water only to show up and to find that, was, that, that what was, which was once a flowing stream is now a dry riverbed. You see, what the psalmist is doing here in, in chapter 42 is that he's saying, I am like the deer and God is like the dry riverbed. I am like the deer who had, who had come to God for refreshment, for quenching of thirst, for spiritual nourishment, all of the things that I had that I'd done before, all the ways that I'd come to God before, but today I show up in the same place with the same thirst. But now, God, you aren't there like you once were. Have you ever felt that way? Like nothing really changed, right? You're still reading your Bible. You're still praying. You're still going to connection group. You're still coming to church. But it just seems like God isn't there. You see, he isn't questioning whether or not God ever existed. He's not questioning that. He's saying the God who used to be there doesn't feel like he's there anymore. The things that used to resonate with his soul just don't ring as clearly as they used to. The things that used to satisfy his thirst still leaves his mouth dry and parched. The things that used to give him a sense of God's presence no longer give him a sense of God's presence. See, we, we Americans, most of us, grew up in America, not all of us, but a lot of us Growing up in America, we, we had hardwired into us, like kind of like programmed into our perception of the world, that success in life is health, it's wealth, and it's happiness. That's, that's, that's what it means to be successful. And so when we aren't healthy, when we aren't wealthy, and when we aren't happy, the logic would lead us to believe that we have failed that we've done something wrong. Like, if something is wrong, then you're doing something wrong. That's the way we think. We're incredibly moralistic in this way. And, and Christian Americans aren't really all that better because we think that if we're in a time of spiritual dryness, that if we're in a time of spiritual desolation, then it must be because I'm doing something wrong. It must be because I haven't repented of sin, because I haven't read my Bible enough, because I'm not praying enough, because I haven't claimed the blood, I haven't pleaded the promises, I haven't confessed, I haven't given enough money. 
I haven't pressed the button, I haven't pulled the lever, I haven't done the things that are supposed to result in a vibrant spiritual life. If I'm feeling spiritually dry, then it must be because I have done something wrong. And that's perhaps why maybe you're in a season of doubt or have been in a season of doubt and you've been so incredibly scared and hesitant to share that spiritual dryness with other people. Because to admit that you are spiritually dry is very close to admitting that you're a spiritual failure. But nowhere in this psalm is there a confession of sin. Nowhere in this psalm is there an admission of guilt, which is really, really important. Because what this means is that while spiritual dryness certainly can come from unrepentant sin, from having totally messed up, we're actually gonna see that next week in Psalm 51, like spiritual dryness can come from the result of sin in our lives or certainly of not, of not stepping into the means of God's grace for our spiritual flourishing through disciplines. That can surely be the case, but that is not always necessarily the reason why you are spiritually dry. Spiritual dryness can simply come as a result of living in a fallen world and looking around and wondering, where in the world are you, God? Now, some of you are new in your faith or some of you haven't walked through a season of dryness yet. But for whatever excitement and for whatever spiritual vibrancy you might feel right now, you need to know that seasons of spiritual dryness will likely inevitably come into your life. And it's important for you to know that because if you don't expect that to happen, then when it does happen, it can very often send you in to not just a season of dryness, but a season of doubt where you will begin to wonder, was this God thing ever real to begin with? You see, knowing that something is normal doesn't make it easier, but it at least makes you know that you aren't alone. And it at least makes you know that as you are walking through it, you aren't crazy. So, how does a Christian walk through spiritual dryness? How does a Christian walk through spiritual depression? Whether you're in a season like that or not, it's very likely you will be at some point. How do you walk through a season like this? I want to show you some things from these psalms. I wanna show you two things that don't help and three things that do. It's a really sophisticated outline. Two things that don't help and three things that do. So two things that don't help when you are in a season of spiritual dryness. Those two things are physical weariness and a disruption of community. There's more than two in these Psalms. But I only have time for these two. So first, physical weariness. Look at Psalm 42, verse 3. Here's what he says. My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long people say to me, where is your God? His tears have been his food day and night. In other words, he isn't eating. The only thing that he is eating are the tears flowing down his face. I suppose you don't eat tears, maybe you drink them. He isn't eating, he's lost his taste. He's lost his appetite. Not only that, 
Not only are his tears his food, it's day and night. So not only is he not eating, he's also not sleeping. Not eating, not sleeping. This is what we would probably today call clinical depression. You see, we we have a tendency to pit the body and the soul against one another. Like what matters most is what is spiritual. And this body is really just a container for my spirit. So it doesn't really matter what happens to my body. Or some of you might do the opposite, where you're really, really into your body. You're really, really in health and you neglect the spiritual aspect of your health. But what is happening here in Psalm 42 is that he is neglecting, he, he's, he is physically depleted. We have a tendency to put the body and soul against each other. But the reality is, is that care for our physical bodies is incredibly important. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a physician before he was a preacher, he said this. He said, does anyone hold the view that as long as you are a Christian, then it doesn't matter what the condition of your body is? You'll soon be disillusioned if you believe that. There are some in whose case it is clear to me that the cause of their depression is mainly physical. On the other hand, people who are physically weak are more prone to spiritual attacks and depression. But if you recognize that the physical may be partly responsible for the spiritual condition and make allowances for this, you will be better able to deal with the spiritual issues. Now here's the deal. This isn't to say that the only explanation for spiritual dryness is a lack of physical care, but it is to say that neglecting your physical well-being altogether will often have unintended spiritual consequences. Because God created you as a whole person. If, if, if you have kids, it doesn't, you don't even have to have kids. Like this, may be, this might be you right now. You know this to be experientially true. We, we have a, one of our children, I won't say their name, will... Uh, at times, become out of the blue the grumpiest person you have ever met in your life. And often, the, the, most, the most sure cure for this grumpiness, for this anger, for this sadness, has not come from a lecture. It hasn't come from discipline. It hasn't even come from a Bible verse. The most sure cure for this grumpiness with this child has often been a snack. He's hungry. Sorry. <laughs> they are hungry. They're not in this service. They're coming. I'll, I'll change that next service. <laughs> but you know this to be true. Some of you are neglecting your physical health. You're neglecting taking care of your body and you're unknowingly doing it to the detriment of your soul. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you could do, possibly for some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do today is take a nap. Go on a walk. Eat a granola bar. Have a cupcake. You'll be okay. Like, call a friend. Take care of yourself. Work rest. So physical deprivation doesn't help spiritual dryness. What else doesn't help? Look at verse 4. 
I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. He's remembering back to a day where he was walking with the community of God. Now, we don't know the circumstances surrounding the psalmist right now, but for whatever reason, he has experienced a disruption in community. He's reminiscing. This isn't like a current experience. He is looking back with fondness at the times that he was walking with the people of God to the place of God to worship their God together. You see, the sad truth is that many of us, we see spiritual community as a luxury rather than a necessity. We see spiritual community, like, like we think that if we have a personal Bible study, that, that if we have personal times of prayer, that if we have personal times of worship, then that's all that we need. And then if we happen to have spiritual community, like Christian community, then it's just icing on top. Like if I can fit it into, into my schedule, that like if it works, then I'll make that happen. But if not, at least I have my own personal time of study. But community, spiritual community, is an absolute necessity. In fact, it's a means of grace that God has sovereignly ordained in the life of believers as a primary way that God applies his truth to our hearts and our lives. It's spiritual community that God most often uses as a means to water our dry soul. You see, some of you might be sitting there thinking, where is God? It doesn't seem like he is speaking. And what you have forgotten is that one of the greatest ways that God will often speak to us is through the mouth of a brother or sister in Christ. And is it possible that you may not be hearing God speaking because you are not within the community of faith? You are neglecting spiritual community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a a German pastor during World War II, he said this of Christian community. He said, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. And check this out. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. Our heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. I don't know about you, but I hate admitting that I'm weak. I hate admitting that I'm not okay. I want people around me, I want you to look at me and go, that's someone who's got things put together, that's someone who's strong, that's someone who has it figured out and they're able to think their way through things. I hate admitting that I'm weak. So my tendency and weakness is to pull away, is to hide, so that you can't see me be weak. My tendency is to be by myself. But the reality is, is that God will often bring the gentle rain of his gracious truth through the loving words of a fellow believer. And the only way 
In order for that to happen, we have to be present with our fellow believers. We have to be vulnerable. We have to be a church. We have to be a place. We have to be connection groups where we can say, I'm not okay, and it feels like God isn't there. We need to have friends who will pursue us, who will listen to us, who will care for us, and who will tell us what is true. We need friends who will do all of those things, not just one. Because there are some who see life as purely physical. And for those who see life as purely physical, then when you're struggling, the solution will simply be, well, just go pop a pill. Though there may be legitimate things going on with you physically, chemical imbalances where you may need to see a doctor and take medication for that. That may be fine, but if you see life as purely physical, then that will be the only solution you have in the midst of struggling. If you see life as purely moral, then when you're struggling, the only solution that you will have to offer yourself and that you'll have to offer other people is suck it up, buttercup. Just suck it up. Just put your head down. Just keep going. Try harder. Do more. If you see life as purely moral, if you see life as purely emotional, then your only solution in the midst of struggling will just be to listen and to accept them. To listen to them, to accept them. To listen to them, to accept them. Or to just want to be listened to and want to be accepted and never be told truth. If you see life as only emotional, but Christian community doesn't reduce, doesn't flatten life down into those neat, tidy, one-dimensional categories. You see, what we need is a hot meal, a listening ear, and robust truth from the mouth of a brother and sister in Christ. So those are two things that don't help in seasons of spiritual dryness. Physical deprivation and disruption of community. Now, what are three things that do help? Three things that help. What should you do when you're in the dark night of the soul? You should pour out your soul. You should preach to your heart. And you should praise in the dark. Pour out your soul. Preach to your heart and praise in the dark. So the first one, pour out your soul. Verse in chapter 42 again. I remember this as I pour out my heart. This is maybe the most obvious thing in all, in both of these Psalms, right? But it's so easy to miss. What's going on here? Psalm 42 and 43 is the psalmist saying, I don't feel God. I'm getting nothing out of worship. I'm getting nothing out of prayer. All the things that I've done before aren't giving me what they used to. I'm the deer I went to this stream all the time and got filled, but now it's dry. I feel like God has left me, but notice, who is he saying this to? He's saying this to the very God that he doesn't feel is there. Do you feel like God isn't anywhere to be found? Tell him. Do you feel like God has let you down? Tell him. Do you feel like God has abandoned you? Do you feel like you aren't getting out of God what you used to get from God? Tell him. You see, when the psalmist felt like there was no one at the end of his prayers, what did he do? He kept praying. 
He prayed to the God that he didn't feel was there about how much he felt like God wasn't there. You see, our tendency in seasons of dryness is often to ignore spiritual disciplines. When the reality is, is that in seasons of spiritual dryness, that is likely the time where we need to be more committed to those disciplines than we ever were before. Even when you don't feel like they're doing anything, they're doing something. Tell the God you don't feel is there, that you don't feel like he's there. And keep telling him. So pour out your soul. What else are you supposed to do? What else should you do? What else helps? Number two, preach to your heart. Three times he asked his soul why, why he is downcast, and three times he tells his soul what to do. In other words, what the psalmist does in the midst of his dryness is he becomes what we all need to become. We all need to become preachers. Now, that, may, that for many of you may not mean standing up, you know, in front of a crowd, but we need to become preachers to our own heart. We need to get really good at preaching to our own heart. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones I like Lloyd-Jones a lot, obviously. He said this, have you realized that so much of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? You see, in these three instances, in 42 verse 5, 42 verse 11, and 43 verse 5, the psalmist isn't talking to God anymore. The psalmist isn't even talking to the reader. He's not talking to us. Who is the psalmist talking to? He's talking to his own soul. He's poured out his heart. He's felt deeply. Some of you are deep feelers, and that's fine. Pour out your heart. Even if you're not a deep feeler, pour out your heart. He's poured out his heart. He's expressed those deep feelings directly toward God. But at some point, he takes his own heart by the collar and says, all right, you've said enough. Now it's time to shut up and listen. And many of us need to do the same. You see, we need to both pour out our heart, pour out our soul, and preach to our heart. It needs to be both. It's okay to feel deeply, but if all you do is spend your time emoting and never preaching to yourself, you'll remain in the darkness way longer than you needed to. Do you know how to do that? Do you know how to preach to your heart? Do you have friends who will in probably a gentler way than you would to yourself, but do you have friends who will not only sit with you in your sorrow, though that is absolutely necessary. In times of sorrow, one of the greatest things you can do for your friends is just simply be present. And for a time, don't say anything. But do you have friends who will not just sit with you but who will eventually speak truth to you? Who will turn truth to your heart when you don't have the words yourself? So pour out your soul, preach to your heart, and finally, praise him in the dark. You see, one of the things that uh, Disney has maybe ruined for a lot of us is that we have come to expect happy endings. We have come to expect everything to work out. The music crescendos at the end. Ah, they found Nemo. What, what if they didn't find Nemo? What if that's how it ended? It would not have done as well. I promise you, Nemo's still lost, right? And Dory, never found Dory either. 
We like happy endings, but what we have here is that Psalm 43 doesn't end with a happy ending. As much as we like happy endings, Psalm 43 does not end with the psalmist going, whew, I'm glad I got that off my chest. I'm feeling a lot better now. It doesn't end that way. He's actually still in the dark. But we see three times as he preaches to his heart, he vows to praise God in the dark. Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him. I will still praise him. Here's what I will do, even though I don't feel like doing it. Because he knows that at the end of the day, the basis of his worship is not on his feelings, but it is on God's worthiness. See, a lot of people wait until they feel affections for God before they will respond in praise to God. But what the psalmist is saying is almost the exact opposite. He's saying, even though I don't feel God, I will praise him in the pain. I will praise him through the darkness. And so what kind of songs can sad Christians sing? What kind of prayers can sad Christians pray? We can sing and pray psalms of lament because here is the glorious reality is that 2,000 years ago, there was a man who in his time of greatest need, who in his time of deepest darkness prayed a psalm of lament. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus Christ in his darkest moment, in his deepest pain, he didn't cry out to God with trite, overly optimistic cliches. No, he cried out to God with lament. Do you feel like God is far away this morning? Jesus was cast off. Jesus was forsaken so that you would be brought near. Do you feel like God has abandoned you? Jesus was truly abandoned so that you would never be abandoned. Is your soul parched? Is your soul weary? Is your soul dry? Jesus thirsted on the cross on your behalf so that you would have his living waters that will never run dry. You see, Jesus Christ bore the agony of our sin so that we could have him in the agony of our pain. So are you depressed? Is your soul dry? Pour out your soul. Preach to your heart. And praise him in the dark. Because as Hebrews 4 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray for those who are walking through a season of dryness, who are downcast, 
depressed, hurting. They quit, and they can't quite put their finger on why. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would be near. You say you will be near to the brokenhearted. Lord, prove yourself faithful in being near to them. Oh, Father, I pray that in the midst of darkness, that by your grace, you would shine forth a glimmer of light that would bring hope to their souls. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give them the strength to pour out their soul. Would we be a community where we can pour out our souls to you and to one another? Lord, would you give them the strength to preach to their heart? Remind them of the truth of your scriptures, what is true of you and what is true of them. And Father, would they praise you in the dark? We need you. Would you be with us? Make yourself known in the midst of our darkness. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.